0: Well, the great subject of this great New Testament letter to the Hebrews is our great Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a problem to which this letter is addressed. It is a problem of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ from the background of Old Testament religion and who are being dragged back from their early faith into their old ways. Will you please turn to chapter 2 and look at verse 1. Addressing this problem, the writer says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Three weeks ago, Paddy kindly and carefully explained to us that the problem for these people is not some sudden collapse of their faith, but that they would loosen their grip upon the Lord Jesus Christ and gradually, imperceptibly, drift back into their old way of life. More subtle, but more serious, because of the imperceptible way in which it would happen. I want you to look at a picture And I want to picture yourself as a boat tied to a mooring post safe in the harbour. No danger as long as you're safely secured to this post. I want you to think about the fact that the mooring post is like the Lord Jesus Christ. That you yourself are the boat which is related to him not by a piece of rope, but by faith. And what we need to do is to keep on holding on to him. And the whole purpose of this letter to the Hebrews is to encourage us to hold firmly and to keep holding on firmly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, throughout the letter, there are many warnings about this very matter if you look for example at chapter 3 and at verse 6 you will find that the writer says this Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast you see we're only safe if we're holding on to him chapter 3 and verse 14 Again, the same kind of thing is being said. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. And Then later in chapter 6, he urges them to show the same diligence right to the end. Now, what we're going to look at tonight is that the way in which he encourages us to keep holding on to Christ Is to show us what a great and a secure and a firm and a strong post he is so that we will be the more sure to hold on to him. It's all about the Lord Jesus and his being this great high priest so that it will be unthinkable that we should want to let go of him because he alone is the security that keeps us as we keep holding on to him. Now the passage that we were asked to look at runs from chapter 4 verse 14 to chapter 5 and verse 10 and uh, it uh, contains four things about the high priest that he's a victorious high priest that he has gone through the heavens that he's a sympathetic high priest he sympathises with our weaknesses that he's a submissive high priest in that he submitted to God's ways And that he's an effective high priest because he became the source of eternal salvation. But I found that was quite a mouthful and quite a lot to attempt in one message. So we're only going to look at one aspect of that tonight. We're going to look at the matter of his being a sympathetic high priest. I didn't know we were going to come here tonight and hear that one of our families was involved in a car accident on the way home from church this morning. But as we hear that news, our heart goes out to them, doesn't it? We sympathise with them. We think about what they may have been through and what may be happening to them and tomorrow and all that. Our heart goes out to them. Sympathy is something so fundamental to our relationships. Now, what the Bible is saying here is that our great high priest is a sympathetic high priest that he is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. Now we've got a lot of experiences in our church fellowship at the moment, pastorally, in which our frailty and weakness is all too apparent. And so the fact that we come here tonight and we can see more about how the Lord Jesus Christ is eminently suited to be sympathetic to us, this is what we want to explore together tonight. So the first thing I want to look at from chapter 4 and we'll be concentrating mostly on verses 14, 15 and 16 of chapter 4 is that his sympathy is essential. Then that we see that his sympathy is real and then we should look at see how his sympathy is relevant. First of all that his sympathy is essential. See, throughout this letter and in the passages that have been introducing it to us in the earlier chapters, the writer has been showing us that our priest must be divine. He must be God if he's going to be helpful to us. Now, all this Old Testament background was about high priests who were not God. They were men from amongst the tribes there. They needed to make sacrifices for their own sins and repeat daily as their sins required but we see in chapter 4 verse 14 that the Lord Jesus Christ is a high priest who has gone through the heavens that he is Jesus the son of God I don't know whether you were here when we looked at the opening verses of this whole letter uh, in chapter 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is God. He is not like the other priests in that he is a divine high priest. And uh, today, of all days, on this remembrance of Pentecost, we remember that as God he was able to send his spirit down into the church. And uh, as the mystery of God being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a a deep mystery for us to ponder, it's a reality for us to enjoy that the Saviour we have is a divine Saviour. But the parallel thing here is that he also must be human. Our priest must be human. Look at chapter 4 a moment, sorry chapter 2 for a moment and verse 14 since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil, verse 17 for this reason he had to be made like his brothers, he had to be it was essential that Jesus should become a man that this God, this magnificent, glorious Lord, should become a man for us. And the many reasons for his incarnation include the fact that if he was to be a priest for us, then he must be a man for us. He must be one of us to represent us. He had to face the temptations that we face. He had to suffer the punishment that we deserve. He had to identify with the people that he is praying for. This opening passage, and especially the end of chapter 2, is showing us how the Lord Jesus Christ is essentially human in being our priest. And of course the wonder of the gospel message, what sets this gospel apart from other religions in the world, is that he is both at the same time that he is God most high and fully human. that in his one person, the Lord Jesus Christ marries the reality of divinity and the reality of our humanity in a manner which makes him different from any other being, any other person we ever knew. And this is the high priest. This is the one who is essentially sympathetic because it's of his essence. That he is sympathetic. A man has human feelings. And as a man, he has these fellow feelings. He is sympathetic with us. If he is to be our saviour, it's essential that he should be God enough to deal with our problems and man enough to want to do so. Let me look now at the second main thing to say that his sympathy is real his sympathy is real you see Jesus shows us that God has feelings now there have been many theologians through the years that have questioned this that God could have feelings at all because so many of our feelings get out of control so easily don't they you may feel Upset with somebody and it's easier then to become anger and this anger to to spill over and and lose our temper or or our our feelings of sympathy can uh, become so soft that that we're not really able to help people at all. Some people have have had questions about this matter of, of God having feelings at all. The word sympathy is made up of two parts. It means with and feeling, feeling with us. Now in the years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament the Jewish people went through a lot of wars and trouble. And their high priests moved from being religious figures to becoming political figures. They became rulers with human authority. And as tends to happen in some governments, in some countries I don't know how this happens but somehow People who have power and authority, they seem to get out of touch with ordinary people and uh, don't understand why people get upset about things that they do. But it's human nature, isn't it? The Old Testament priests began as religious figures of great religious importance. They became political figures. And they lost touch with the feeling of people. That's why this expression you see here in verse 15 is an unusual one. Because the writer says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why doesn't he go, for, go straight forward and say, we do have a high priest who is able to? Because all the high priests they've known have been men who couldn't possibly sympathize with ordinary people. Because they were the high priests, they become these political rulers. They become more bothered about their own self-interest than anything else. But here he is saying, Jesus really does sympathize with us. He is able to do this because his feelings are real. Now, we've already said that the letter paints this impressive picture to us of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is not so high, so holy, so supreme that he cannot and does not feel for us and feel with us. His feelings are real. It's also evident in the way in which immediately the writer goes on in the end of verse 15 to say that he was tempted just like us. What it means to be human in this world is to face the enemy. And to face the enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us and wants to bring us down. Now we have all kinds of weaknesses. We'll look at some of them in a few moments time. But our spiritual weaknesses are our greatest weaknesses. And I don't need to remind you that when we think about the devil and how clever he is and how subtle he is and how many times he attacks us then temptation is one of the things in which we have to confess we are often very weak indeed. Now the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to be a man, to feel for us, and to face our enemy for us. And you remember how at the beginning of his ministry, before he gets involved in a lot of other things, he goes away to the desert there and he meets the devil. And the devil brings to him these repeated temptations. But what's it say here? He was tempted in every way yet was without sin. He faced our enemy, but he did so with victory at every point. Turn over to chapter 5. Very interesting reference here in verse 7. Have you ever noticed this about the Lord Jesus? 5 verse (coughs) 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This echoes that time in Gethsemane, doesn't it? When he knew what was happening. He knew what was going to come. He knew what they were going to do with him. He knew how that he was going to have to bear not just the physical torment of crucifixion but the spiritual agony of suffering the just punishment of sin in his own body on the tree. And because he was human this is agony for him this is something which he faces and has to face down I do want to just spend a moment looking at this little word in verse 15 we have one who has been tempted in every way every way there are people who say Jesus couldn't understand what I'm going through I say this with seriousness he never married did he one of the greatest causes of strife and distress and human weakness and failure is broken marriages and the strain on marriages how could he have suffered as we suffer and be tempted as we're tempted doesn't say anything in the Bible about his facing sexual temptation, does it? And yet how these things pound in upon us, day after day. What about television, that mixed blessing which is so enriching, but also can be so damaging? He never had that to face, did he? But you see, what the Bible is saying here is that whatever be the different temptations of people at different phases in history and we are just one little snapshot aren't we, of all the centuries of the history of mankind whatever you say about what people face in principle, the Lord Jesus Christ knew it all and faced it all you think the television may be a bit of a problem to you do you know what the devil did to the Lord Jesus Christ he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them, not just a little bit you can see on the screen, not just that bit that makes you jealous that you haven't got what they got or live where they live all the kingdoms of the world were shown to him and he rebuked the devil because he had to face obedience even to the end the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted just like us, but He was without sin. This is a very real sympathy. It's a sympathy for somebody who has been there and felt that and knows that and is able to sympathise with us. I'm not really expecting any of you to remember it. But six years ago, I was asked to preach here at Longrendon on this text. And so I preached a sermon on the fact that there's a man in heaven. Because that's what it says here. Jesus remains a man. Although he is ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, although it says here he has gone through the heavens, What is so helpful to us in understanding his sympathy is that that human body that he took on, that human experience that he had as he lived here, faced the devil, saw what's happening, knew human life, felt for the people around him, he did not leave that body here in the grave. It was raised again. It was glorified. And he has taken that body to heaven. There is a man in heaven now. You get excited because there's a man on the moon that they may want they to be able to put a man on Mars. There's a man in heaven. And I'm so glad. because he's there for me. To represent me. To understand me. To know me. And to have sympathy with me. Some of you are old enough to remember Paul Robeson and those wonderful Negro spirituals. Nobody knows the sorrow I feel. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's what it means to us to have a man in heaven. That this Jesus is a man who has been where we are. I combed my hair before I came out. I didn't want to look shabby in front of you. I'm getting the age where some of them fall out. I've got more than some people of my age. I've no idea how many hairs I've got in my head. But Jesus knows. He not only knows my name, he knows my home, my family, my circumstances. The very hairs of my head he knows. He's counted them. He counted them this morning. He doesn't need to count them again tonight. He knows. This man in heaven is a man who knows about us and understands us. Your secret anxieties that you don't talk about. Your worries that you won't even articulate in case they get bigger as you talk about them. And he cares for us. And he prays for us even at a time when we don't feel like praying ourselves. He prays for us. His sympathy is real. No wonder then we can move on to look at now this wonderful application that his sympathy is relevant. It is relevant to, to you and me. Because you see, our weaknesses, look at it in this text it says here in verse 15, it's in the plural, our weaknesses are many. See, I don't think any of us would qualify to be Alan Sugar's apprentices. They're super confident guys, aren't they? And they can do anything until they're sacked. But we're not like that. We've got weaknesses. And we could spend a long time depressing each other, talking about them. Some of you know how physically we can't do what we used to do. We feel tiredness and pain and sickness and physical fear. Don't forget that this man in heaven suffered crucifixion on the cross. Suffered the kind of dying which I'm told is more painful than any other form of pain long and lingering and excruciating you want somebody who understands what it feels like to be hurt Jesus is your man Uh, some of you are not so worried about the physical matters you're bouncing with health but intellectually you, you get a bit unsettled sometimes The education these youngsters are getting today, it it leaves you behind, doesn't it? You used to be able to help them with their homework one day, but you can't do it anymore. It makes people of my age feel we don't know anything at all. Look at the text with me, will you? Matthew 11, 25 and 26. This is what Jesus says about people like that. Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. The Lord Jesus Christ met all kinds of people. He identified with all kinds of people. The people who knew it all were the people Jesus said knew nothing. And the people who came to him with their frailty and weakness and saying, I don't understand this, are the people that Jesus said, I'll teach you if you come to me. I spoke a little while ago about the matter of feelings. Emotional weaknesses are sometimes the most painful of all, aren't they? How sensitive we are as human beings. How many things hurt us. And how many times, secretly, inside or outside, we're crying. You do know the shortest text in the Bible, don't you? You do know the shortest text. It says Jesus wept. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. Not because he didn't know he was about to bring Lazarus back to life again. But because there were were Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters. And he felt for them. And he felt for what death means and how ugly death is and how tragic sin is that brought death into the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ felt for them in their emotional weakness. And he still does. Spiritual weakness, of course, is the most profound The devil tries to turn all our weaknesses into a spiritual challenge, doesn't he? He tries to use our physical and our emotional and our intellectual situations into a a battle with him because he wants to to hurt us so that we so easily become not just self-pitying but self-centred and hug to ourselves all these weaknesses that are making me feel so bad when everybody else is so good. And then we're drifting away from that Christ-centred life to become a self-centred person as the old life had it. So easily we mistrust God's promises. We know what he said. We know what he means. But we don't hold on to them as we should. Worst of all, we're tempted to feel nobody understands. When we pluck up courage and try and talk to people, they're too busy. Even whilst they're talking to us, they're looking for something else. Our friends, sometimes our family. I can say this without being unkind to anyone present. Even pastors, you know, can let you down. Sometimes they don't seem to be able to feel for you because they're not a high priest. They are men like you. But this man is a man like you, who is in heaven for you, and who is there praying for you with all the strength and courage of one who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. You see, the high priest came to pray, didn't he? That was his role. Now have you ever thought of the fact that all Jesus' prayers are effective? The father never turns away his son. Everything the son asks for, he gives to him. Look at what it says here in chapter 7 and verse 25. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's alive today. He's a man in heaven today and he's a high priest in heaven today. So what he is doing, amongst many other things, ruling the universe, building his church, caring for his people, what he is also doing is he is praying. And our names are written on the palms of his hands. And he's interceding for his people in a way which is always effective. God accepted him when he offered his sacrifice. God demonstrated his divinity by raising him from the dead. God took him to heaven there and welcomed him and established him there in heaven to intercede for us. And doesn't it make a difference to know that somebody's praying for you and to know that he is praying for you? There's a little incident in Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 31. Simon Peter is getting into trouble again as he seems to so often. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you see, he knows he's going to turn back. He knows he's going to fail. But Jesus knows that because he's praying for him, God will answer his prayer and Peter will be restored and he will be restored to strengthen his brothers. What a difference it makes when somebody says to you, I'll pray for you. Think of the difference it makes when Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you and I'm always living to intercede for you. But it gets better, doesn't it? Look at verse 16 now. Look at what it says here in verse 16 about his throne immediately he's spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ being sympathetic with us he makes the application let us then what shall we be doing about it let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need The Lord Jesus Christ, exalted to heaven's highest throne, fearful in authority, awesome in majesty. His throne is approachable. He says we can come to him with confidence. It says not when we're feeling strong, but when we're feeling in a time of need, we can come to him. Even his throne is given a new title to encourage us. It's called the throne of grace. So that people who deserve nothing but his judgment can receive mercy to help us in a time of need. We don't need any popes. We don't need any Marys. We don't need any human ministers. We can come directly to the throne of grace with confidence because there our high priest is interceding for us we must conclude I was glad to be asked to preach on this again because I know something of my own weaknesses I expect you know something about yours but the Lord Jesus Christ is not a distant ruler too busy to bother with us He became a man so that he could understand what men and women feel and with perfect knowledge of our every need he has this touching sympathy for our failed struggles. Two things then we can do. First of all, we can come to him. We can come to him as we are now. You feel you're too weak to come to him? That's very what he's saying here, isn't it? That's exactly what he's saying. Come to me in your weakness. Even if we have never prayed before, even if we've never sought him before, we can come to him as we are, confused and weak and uncertain, and know that he sympathises with us. And we can come to him and know he won't turn us away. And then, of course, the point of this passage is that we must keep on holding on to him we mustn't allow anything to drag us away from him. This word confidence is great, isn't it? It's saying to us that whatever we're doing we must keep on coming back to him and we must keep on praying to him. It isn't accidental that this text is before us on the day of Pentecost, when we're remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit. What is the great need of my spiritual life? It's the Spirit of God to be in me, to enable me to be useful to Him. What is the need of our church? It is the bestowing of the Spirit of God. It's the wisdom we need from the Spirit to know what to do. It's the grace we need from the Holy Spirit to empower us in what God has given us to do in this situation. And we need the Spirit. And so we can keep on coming to Him in the confidence that he sympathises with all our weakness and he knows and feels what's best for us. We're going to sing a hymn now and then after we've sung the hymn we'll sit down and we'll have a time of prayer because some of you may have things that have come to your mind that you think you should be praying about in the light of this. We'll pray after we've sung this hymn, which is about our high priest. With joy we contemplate the grace of our high priest above. His heart is made of tenderness and overflows with love. Touched with the sympathy within, our frailty he has known. He knows what fierce temptations mean, for he has felt our own. We'll stand to see. sit down I'm going to suggest that you pray quietly where you are perhaps you know someone who fits this text a time of need perhaps it's you that has this time of need there are people in our fellowship there are people in our family Jacqueline and myself, who are going through a very special time of need. We want to thank God that Jesus is a high priest for people like us, that he has sympathy with people like us. His throne of grace is approachable by people like us. And he can and will help people like us. Let's spend a little while in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on your throne there is grace to help us in our time of need. That because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen.